Listener Production. In this episode of The Briefing, an incredible story from the New South Wales Northern Rivers flood disaster. So while the state and federal governments were waiting, a collective of Northern Rivers locals did something truly amazing. An emergency response so fast and sophisticated, it puts our government agencies to shame. It involves semi-trailers worth of donations and a team of privately owned helicopters flying into some of the most remote, hardest hit areas of this natural disaster. We had funding from up the coast with Mick Fanning and obviously Hemsworth came on board and unbelievable amount of people just saying they wanted to help. Despite his own home getting flooded, he has not stopped flying since the floods hit last Monday. And along with a group of other chopper pilots and a huge wave of donations from locals, including some very famous Australians, Michael's been part of a big, complex, fast-moving chain of food, water and medicine. They need insulin, they need this, they need that. We had it all. So we were doing very tailor-made drops for these people, almost down to their dietary requirements. Wow. It was Actually, we did do dietary requirement drops, 100%. Get the full story on this amazing logistical effort in the briefing in just a moment. First, here are today's headlines with Annika Smethurst. It's Wednesday, March 9. Great to be back. Now, two people have died in flooding in Sydney. A mother and her son were in their car when it was swept into a storm drain. The rain emergency continues. 66,000 people across New South Wales have had to leave their homes, with 65 evacuations still in place. The areas most affected are around the hawkesbury Nepean Rivers area, uh, as well as Singleton, Kempsey, Camden and down to Sussex Inlet on the south coast. Uh, the northern beaches of Sydney got totally smashed yesterday. There was flooding around the Manly area with 800 homes inundated. Damaging winds of more than 90 kilometres an hour along the coast are expected today, but the rain is forecast to ease. A couple of showers today still hanging around the east coast, but as we move into the afternoon, most of that activity will move off the coast. That's Rowan Smith from the Weather Bureau. Um, that's the news everyone's been waiting for. It's just particularly in Sydney where I am. The last couple of days has been crazy as of course we've been watching all the devastation up north but people are just waiting for that sun to come out. Prime Minister Scott Morrison is expected to travel to flood affected areas in northern New South Wales today now that he's out of COVID isolation. Yeah this comes after heavy criticism that the Australian Defence Force were too slow to get boots on the ground and the Prime Minister said earlier this week that the number of troops would ramp up to 5,000 in the coming days. Um, how do you think this visit's going to go down, Annika? Obviously, there's a, a lot of memories of him turning up to the bushfire-affected areas and uh, forcing handshakes on people. Yeah, look, this is something I wrote about in my book, that it's really hard for politicians to go into any sort of disaster area. There's those infamous pictures of Kevin Rudd helping some Korean kids move during the floods. I remember there was an awkward uh, hug that John Howard gave during the Bali bombings. But we really know the current Prime Minister's had a really bad run with this. Think back to the bushfires, mm. people not wanting to shake his hand. It was so awkward to watch. And that really showed their anger. So... There is a fear that he will have a similar welcome when he goes to the New South Wales uh, northern region today to tour that area. It is mostly a state issue, but people mm. don't really care. It's about having people there to help, having leaders, you know, doing what the locals need. And there really has been the sense that the government hasn't been there again on this one. Yeah, I do think his personal style comes into this a little bit, though, because Dominic Perrottet has been up there and he's just walked around and been face to face with people 
And when they've criticised him, he's, he's just stood there and taken it and promised to do better. Whereas Scott Morrison often seems to get a bit defensive. And I think the, the point you make about it being mostly out of their control is an interesting one because the only thing they have been able to talk about is the Defence Force troops going up there. But a lot of people say it was way too slow, that the numbers are only getting to a, a very substantial level over a week after the disaster happened. But that's what the Prime Minister has been touting as their main response. Yeah, it was similar after the bushfires. People were calling on the army, not necessarily to put the fires out, but to help with that recovery, to get supplies in. People want to see that there's somebody there helping them and there's a way forward on this. So, look, it does seem to be another misstep. Often these uh, sort of make or break issues going into an election. If Scott Morrison was looking for a bit of clear air, you wouldn't think this is going to be where it's found um, given mm. what's happened in the last few days. Yeah, and on the New South Wales side, um, they've brought in a new coordinator to try and clean up the disaster on the Northern Rivers. The Premier, uh, Dom Perrottet, announced that the Deputy Police Commissioner, Mal Lanyon, is the new Regional Recovery Coordinator. He is the best person suited uh, for this role, working very closely uh, with the Head of Resilience New South Wales, Shane Fitzsimmons. That's the Premier Dominic Perrottet speaking there. This follows anger in New South Wales, as we're saying, that there has been that delayed response, not only with the federal government, but also in terms of what the state government could do. Yeah, and in Queensland, there are more thunderstorms underway, which is hampering clean-up efforts. This comes after they appointed their own special recovery coordinator as well, Major General Jake Elwood. So they've gone for someone from the military. Um, Palaszczuk left open the door to property buybacks in frequently flooded areas too. NATO has labelled Russia's shelling of humanitarian corridors as a war crime. Targeting civilians is a war crime and it's totally unacceptable. We need a real humanitarian corridors that are fully respected. That's the Secretary-General of NATO, Jan Stoltenberg, there. That comes after 200,000 Ukrainian civilians were stuck in the besieged southern city of Mariupol uh, and they weren't able to leave after another ceasefire fell apart. People in the city currently have no food, heating or medical supplies and more broadly, the World Health Organisation has warned the whole country is running out of medical supplies including oxygen, insulin, PPE, surgical supplies and blood products. Yeah, meanwhile, Ukraine's defence is reporting the advance of Russian forces has slowed significantly and our Foreign Minister Maurice Payne announced new sanctions targeting Russian military commanders responsible for attacks on Ukraine as well as senior propagandists. And America is doing its bit by banning Russian oil and gas imports. I'm announcing the United States is targeting the main artery of Russia's economy. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. That's the President Joe Biden. For the US, it's not a huge chunk of their petroleum imports. It comes around uh, 8% of their total imports. In the UK, they've also announced that Russian imports will be phased out by the end of the year. But again, it's only 8% of their energy imports. Whereas for a lot of the other big European countries, they rely much more heavily on Russian gas. Um, so it's going to be much harder for them to cut off. Australian refinery Viva Energy, which operates the Shell brand, said it would also stop buying crude from Russia, with the price of unleaded time now tipped to soar to as much as $2.50 a litre wow. as the conflict continues. And the price of domestic airfares is also risen by about 20 bucks already. And a date has been set for Shane Warne's state funeral. It's going to be Wednesday, March 30 at the MCG. And Coldplay's Chris Martin and Ed Sheeran 
could be coming. A private jet is expected to arrive in Thailand today, which will bring Warren's body home to Melbourne. So how will they work out the ticketing for this, do you reckon, Annika? Because... I reckon everyone will want to be there. Yeah, state funerals are strange ones, actually. Usually they perhaps set up a point for those people that didn't know him but want to pay their respects that's, you know, away from the family and they will also have their own personal funeral to say goodbye on their own. But you'd have to think that given the large number of stars he was friends with, both here and overseas, they're going to have to have some sort of VIP area. It's going to be almost like a concert in itself. Mm. But you can imagine Warney would have loved it. Yeah, I guess they'll have big screens around the MCG and it'll be a a huge celebration that probably spills out well beyond the stadium. All right, Annika, great to have you back on the briefing today. We'll catch you some other time soon, probably for a deep dive on some federal politics. Might be about some handshakes that do or don't go down in the Northern Rivers today. Speaking of, um, we're about to go to the amazing story of this helicopter pilot and the huge, complex, quick, private response to the disaster up there. There's been a huge amount of anger on the northern rivers of New South Wales about the speed of the government's response to the flood disaster. But as the state and federal governments made excuses why they couldn't get there sooner, bands of locals were pulling together a truly incredible response. So you're about to hear the story from a guy called Michael Barnes. He's a Lismore helicopter pilot who's been a key player in this fast-moving, compassionate, intelligent logistically complex response involving private helicopters, a complex logistical network involving semi-trailer loads of donations. So let's go to Michael. Him and his wife Jess run a helicopter business out of Lismore called Rotorwing. As you'll hear, their own house got flooded last Monday, completely flooded. So before he started this huge recovery and relief operation, he started by rescuing his wife, their one and two year old babies, and then his dog, and since then it hasn't stopped. Michael, thanks for joining us on the briefing. When did you start flying into these flood-affected communities and what did you see? We started in the flood, mate. Our helicopter was getting going under in water. We were the first one up. Wow. In the morning it happened. So that's Monday morning last week? Yeah, yeah. So I flew my family out first and then got to work. Right, so where did you go and where did you see the need first? First was uh, getting the family to the Westback base, and then they took them to the hospital. The priority after that, we tried to save my dog, which mm. we thought he would lost him, but we found him, which was amazing. Awesome. He only had about 30 centimetres left in the in the roof cavity. But um, So we landed on the roof and tried to get him out. But And then a mate of mine, we pulled him off a roof, and then that was it for the first day. And then after that, it's been about um, working with Essential Energy. Essential Energy have been absolutely critical in this whole thing. They... They basically said that in between jobs, we want you to run food and water and just do whatever you can to help. And they just cut right through that red tape and said, don't worry about the funding, we'll make it happen. So that was amazing. Basically, some of our friends met us up on the hill at uh, Hepburn Park. They said, what do you need? They said, just box up food. And they just started buying it out of their own pocket. Some of them put, you know, five, ten grand into it, boxing up food. And we just started running food. And then uh, there was another young fella, Nate, who wanted to... Help, he said, what can we do? So get onto someone that can get food here. He got onto a girl called Ali up at the Gold Coast. And before we knew it, we had a hundred grand sitting there and the semi-trailer started on the way down. All right, I'll come back to Michael's story in just a second. But to give you a sense of how those donations got to the helicopter hangar, I've spoken to Gold Coast woman Kate Cattle, who along with her friend Ellie Smith, who Michael just mentioned, put a call out for donations in their local area on the Goldie 
and within a few days had two semi-trailers on their way. Last week, I got together with my best friend and we decided to send some goods down there and it grew really big in a really short amount of time and we were donated a semi-trailer to fill and we had, I think it was about 16 hours to get it full. And the Gold Coast community really rallied around that and we ended up actually filling two and sending them down into a Lismore hangar. The hangar that we have been working with and supplying is servicing the communities that haven't been accessible by road or by boat in the Northern Rivers. So the hangar is in Lismore, but the the goods that we sent down, most of them went out into areas like Korokai, Mainarm, I believe Wilson's Creek, mm. um, Ukai. So yeah, it's been good to be able to send the goods down there and actually see that they're going out to communities that have not had anything. You know, the helicopter pilots have reported that you know, as they do drops, many of them haven't seen anyone for over a week and, you know, they've got no power, they've got no fuel, so they can't run their generators. They can't, you know, drive anywhere to see if they can get out. They've got obviously no water, no food, um, Mm. you know, they can't cook. Things are running out fast. So yeah, it has been good to be able to supply that and the Gold Coast community where I live really rallied behind that. It was really amazing to see the energy that was created, you know, when we put that call out. Okay, so Kate's story of fast, generous action from the Gold Coast is just one example amongst many stories of the way people got donations to the helicopter hangars closer to the scene. So these are the hangars that Michael Barnes and the other pilots were flying in and out of to the communities most affected. So let's go back to Michael and hear him explain how those goods got from the hangars out to those communities. We had a team of about 100 at our shed. There's no storage facilities in Lismore to keep this stuff. So they started cleaning out the shed, not for us. It was just to so we could get this food set up so we could start distributing it. And it was just, it looked like a Costco in there. Mm. I reckon it would have had to have been $2 million worth of stock in there at one wow. stage. And uh, then we set up a makeshift job custom. So we were doing bulk drops to the big towns like Woodburn, Korokai, uh, Broadwater, Riley's Hill, all those ones down in the south there. But it became evident that there was a lot of really remote houses that were just completely cut off, no power. So obviously no one's got any phones, so they can't make calls. So the the community effort was unbelievable. We had people hiking up into the hills to do welfare checks on people Mm. and coming back with specific lists like they need insulin, they need this, they need that. We had it all. So we were doing very tailor-made drops for these people. Instead of dropping them off 100 packs of rice, we were dropping them off almost down to their dietary requirements. Wow. It was Actually, we did do dietary requirement drops, 100%. A team of 100 working together, It's that's what keeps everyone going because, you know, everyone's like, well, how do you keep going? I haven't even gone through any of our gear yet. But um, every time you land, you just look in front of you, there's like 10 drops there ready to go. Each one's got a, an address. It'll say like, you know, four adults, two kids at this address, blah, blah, blah. Wow. Then we go and land there and dropped it off. But some of them were completely inaccessible. One of my guys, Mark, he... Uh, it's just amazing. Like You couldn't get into some of these places, so he found a wheelbarrow and walked this stuff in himself. What an amazing logistical effort to be able to tailor your drops so specifically to these people's needs, but also get into these places that no one else seemed able to access unless they were going in by foot. But this was about community knowledge. I had boots on the ground in Woodburn, so Lisa set up a, uh, a logistical sort of base there. And I said to her, you need to reach out to that community and come back to me with what you need. Mm. So she was providing us with drops from down there. Then we had uh, other people walking up into, you know, I pulled a mate of mine 
newborn out because they were running out of oxygen and uh, that was a preemie baby so I had to get him out so I could get oxygen and there's another whole team that was doing um, further north up around uh, North Arm but there's just there's too many people to mention at this I've got to write it all down yeah you know we, we were like oh who's doing up at Main Arm who's doing this who's doing it? and then we find out that there's a whole team up there John Callahan is up there organizing that logistics there's apparently an amazing operation going on up there but I just I've stayed out of that Communication's been the biggest issue with um, restoring comms. So, again, essential energy. We've been trying to restore comms to all these communications towers so that people could get phone reception and tell us what they needed. So, how many choppers have you been running? Well, so my wife, Jess, I put her on a plane on day one with the kids and just sent her down to Melbourne at Ballina. There was a private jet there ready to go. I said, I don't care how much, just send them home. And um, they took them home. She just bought another laptop because obviously everything of ours went underwater and she set up like the logistical base down there as far as managing the funding that was coming in, which was amazing. We had funding from, you know, up the coast with Mick Fanning and really? obviously Hemsworth came on board and unbelievable amount of people just saying they wanted to help, but trying to manage that. We had people, uh, the boys from Roma, it's a helicopter company up there, came down. They've been working with the guys at Prime Exciting Casino to run feed out to a lot of these uh, cattle. And also running around with vets to make sure that, um, you know, animals aren't in distress and that sort of thing. So there's a lot to it. It's not not any one person or one team. Wherever there was a need, people just picked up the ball and just made it happen. So it's amazing to hear about the logistical network that came together so quickly um, that goes all the way from people donating in their local communities right through to you guys running the helicopters. Of this private helicopter network, this in- informal network that's come about so quickly, how many choppers do you think have been up and running delivering what's needed to these remote devastated communities? Oh, let's say like six that would be full-time going hell for leather and then there was another another six that were coming down from the Gold Coast and helping out as well. Probably up to 12 privately funded helicopters, I'd say. We spoke to Kate Cattle, and she was working with her friend Ellie Smith to bring down those uh, two semi-trailers. Yeah, Yeah, that's Ellie, yep. I mean, that's an amazing part of it. They were able to get two semi-trailers full very quickly on the Gold Coast and get that down to you guys into the hangar to start running out to people. And then it just didn't stop from there. We've only just – there's been a new, a a more suitable holding facility set up, and we've actually sent most of our goods there. We've left enough so that we can still do a few remote um, runs if we need to, which we've got a couple on this morning. Because we only just got to some of these Indigenous communities yesterday. What's it like when you actually land in these places that have been hit so hard and been so isolated? From a flying perspective, it's it's no different to any other emergency situation. We just just keep going. But the um, but the human side. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. You see some pretty raw emotions there of people that um, are stuck out. Like yesterday, we found a family that everyone thinks it's only been going for a week, but the, it's been raining for a long time. So they were cut off for a week before this started. Now, the detail we've skipped over is that from what I've been hearing in this conversation, you've lost your house. Yeah, look, I don't want any sympathy there about the house. We're between houses, so we're staying at the office there. We've been there for a while, but not meant to be. But we're between houses in the market, so we're okay. It's more about what we've lost in there, you know, like photo albums. But I've got to tell you, we had friends that came down, grabbed our photo albums, pulled them all apart, dried them out. Mine and my, my guy that works for me, Mark, all our motorbikes were on the back deck and I had a mate of mine came and took them away. They're already running. Everyone's just been taking my stuff away, getting it going and bringing it back. But it all got <laughs> so, flooded out. You're just trying to salvage what you can. 
Oh, yeah, the water was over the eaves, but that's what I'm saying. My dog was in there, and he only had about 20 centimetres in the roof cavity, and I was convinced he was gone. I landed out the front as soon as I could when the water went down, and he's standing there looking at me. Mm. So, I couldn't believe that, and that broke me big time. So what do you make of our, our state and federal agencies and their response to this crisis? There's going to be a formal channel that needs to look into that, but mostly it's about a communication breakdown and failure. Um, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus because I really don't know what happened. Okay, so what's needed from here? What would you like to see happen? What would be the ideal response if you could orchestrate it right now? I actually honestly don't know. It, it's it's hard to, when you walk into Lismore, drive in, fly over, whatever, to work out how this town's going to bounce back. What's going to be needed is just community support to help re-establish businesses if they're ever going to come back. How are you feeling right now after what you've experienced in the last week and a half? Oh, yeah, no, I'm fine. It's What it is is when you see... You land and you see like a hundred people in your shed, just like this production line, just getting things done. Anything we needed done will be done, has been done. Everyone's just been so helpful, it's ridiculous. So that was Michael Barnes, who runs Rotor Wing with his wife Jess. And they were evacuated out of their own place and then got to work on an incredibly complex effort. That is just an amazing story, one that I hadn't heard of yet. So really excited we could bring that to you. Now In our work pulling that together, we've actually spoken to quite a number of people on the Northern Rivers who've been doing amazing things, who've been witnessing the trauma and the scale of the tragedy that's unfolded, and we'll also hear more about their frustrations at the government response. So we're going to bring you a second episode from the Northern Rivers tomorrow as we learn more about the way this community's responded to such a devastating disaster. Listener.